Before we get to this episode, just to say thanks to everyone who's bought my new book, Champion Thinking, How to Find Success Without Losing Yourself. Published by Bloomsbury, the response has been terrific. It's an Amazon bestseller. It's been top 20 in the airport charts consistently, and the reviews have been terrific right across the board. And if you like this episode that you're about to hear on Flow, you'll be sure to enjoy Champion Thinking. Head to my website, simonmundy.com or Amazon, Waterstone, Smiths, places like that to get your copy. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. So many of the high performers that I've worked with who, you know, on the surface have achieved amazing things and, you know, on social media will will tell a certain story about their achievements. But underneath it is that sense of, am I good enough? I'm trying to be good enough. Just from a sort of society perspective, you're in a way a little bit promised this idea that at the end of this suffering will come the joy, you know, whether it's the next car, whether it's the, Mm -hmm. the job, whether it's the family, whether it's the retirement. It didn't work that way for me, and I was so pleased to have gotten to that stage early enough to realise that, geez, you know, if, if it's not there, then surely maybe my potential is actually in me. Welcome to the Life Lessons Podcast with me, Simon Mundy. This episode is all about what I call success evangelism and considering a new way of being. My co-host for this episode is a renowned journalist and broadcaster in her own right. And in the first half, we discuss what success evangelism and a new way of being means. And the second half features the likes of Johnny Wilkinson, Caitlin Jenner, one of Britain's fastest swimmers of all time, and the renowned psychologist Katie Warriner, who illustrate the points that we make in part one. I hope you enjoy. Hello, Alex. Hello, Simon. Welcome to the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to have you on. I should probably introduce you. So let's start with what you do for work. You are a journalistic powerhouse. Is that fair? (laughs) (laughs) That might be slightly over-egging it, but I'm a journalist, yes. You are a journalist. I'm a journalist. Currently on maternity leave. Mm -hmm. And you're also my wife. I am your wife. (laughs) I am more of the written word and you're more of the spoken word. So we'll see how this goes. We are a bit yin and yang anyway. And you are the first guest who has ever been my wife so this is a first (laughs) (laughs) that's a relief (laughs) right so we're here or rather you're here to help me talk about what is a mini series that we're running on the life lessons podcast and it's called success evangelism and a new way of being what do you think that means to you success evangelism i love this term i think there is so much of it about at the moment i think i wrote about this recently i saw this guy's gym and on the wall it said never choose the comfy chair (laughs) and and i thought why (laughs) i don't understand and this is that idea of success evangelism you know you have to get up at four in the morning and you have to have this for breakfast with your green juice and then you have to meditate and you have to run and you have to achieve all this stuff before 6am and all in this pursuit of being the most successful in inverted commas because what is success anyway i'm sure we'll come on to that Um, to be the most successful, to have the most money, to have the most status. And it's a bit exhausting, isn't it? I think you've explained it really well. For me, the core idea underneath it is I'll be happy when X happens and I've got to slog my guts out to get there. Mm. I'll be happy when I get the job, the promotion, the relationship, the status, the trophy, the World Cup. And the thing is, the horizon that we are chasing is always moving it always stays off in the distance out of reach by definition that's what horizons do yeah i think that's exactly right and so i do think it can be quite corrosive this never-ending pursuit of success as you say like what does it even mean particularly if if it's setting out to 
fill a hole, as it were, to fill a sense of not being okay, not being enough as we are right now. Because to me, there's an underlying message in there of succeed and become special, become a somebody, because right now you're not enough. Mm, Yeah, I think so. The thing is, though, we're all guilty of it, aren't we? We all do it. Of course, yeah. You know, I was thinking when we were discussing doing this podcast, I was thinking about the house. Can I give that example? Yeah, go for it. So we moved into this house five years ago and I was oh, I was obsessed with this house. I couldn't wait for it to complete. It was a bit of a project, wasn't it? And um we moved in and I remember sitting on the couch and thinking, I never want to leave. I love my house so much. I think I'm through with holidays. Like this is it for me now. I'm just gonna be in my house. Fast forward five years, I hate the place. (laughs) There is so much that needs doing. And it's so funny because there was all this striving to get into the house and we got in and it brought that fulfillment that, oh my God, amazing. And of course, we're so lucky to have a house. I'm not, you know, I'm not knocking that or anything, but it's just that feeling of fulfillment that you get from a thing or an object or, you know, status, it's not lasting no it's always transitory yeah and I think that everybody can think of so many examples of this in their own lives um you know you think something's going to be happening and then you're going to be happy but actually life continues you know Mm. getting married lovely as it was darling it was lovely (laughs) it was it was a great day but then it's the next day and it's over with yeah. and it's like, oh, actually, everything is the same. What what now? What next? Yeah. We're always looking to the future and then as a result, this moment, this exact moment ceases to be important. It just is a stepping stone, basically, to a future that only exists as a thought in the mind. So we're rushing through this moment to get to a future moment that doesn't actually exist. It's basically just a phantom. It's so true about embracing the moment. So this morning, the baby woke up about seven. I'm like, oh, okay, I'll I'll get up, go downstairs. And I'm kind of working towards, let's get breakfast done. Let's get our eldest daughter ready. And um, I looked outside and the sky was pink, like properly pink, one of those beautiful winter sunrises. And it sort of took my breath away. And I went in the garden and I took a photo of it. And I thought, gosh, if I hadn't got up now and if I was racing through all these things that we're that I'm trying to do, I would have missed this. And this is just perfect. It's probably going to be the highlight of my day, seeing that sunrise. And I would have missed it. And you're, you're good at this because of your gratitude diary. Yeah. Since you've been doing the gratitude diary, you're really good at spotting these things. And the thing is, if we're rushing through moments inevitably we're going to miss stuff like that but actually there's miraculous stuff in every moment but you have to be present to acknowledge it absolutely but you have to be tuned into it to notice it i could easily have looked out the window and thought oh you know the sun's rising but no it's like wow the sun's rising it's absolutely gorgeous i mean i wish i could show the listeners the picture because it was just stunning and what a way to start the day and if you don't stop and notice these little things they just pass you by and these are all part of the rich tapestry of life and being in the now yeah well i can share that picture in the newsletter perhaps oh okay fine i'll give you permission obviously i've just had my book come out and congratulations (laughs) thanks for your help and support (laughs) you know if i look back on everything that led up to that first of all getting the job at the bbc at radio one and really feeling like i made it and then fast forward a couple of years a bit like you with the house feeling like oh that sense of dissatisfaction started to creep in and then it's like what next that then led to me doing my burn the boats which i've spoken about elsewhere and i speak about my newsletter so i won't get into it here but really pushing for stuff got the job on tv at wimbledon but perhaps even more importantly got the podcast which Mm led to the book and I remember you and me going for that dinner when I signed the book contract and I didn't feel that we could celebrate properly because I felt like I still had this mountain to climb Mm -hmm. and then it was really funny when we actually got the book sent here and I was holding one I was like blimey I really remember that meal that we had and feeling like I've got so much still to do I don't want to celebrate yet. Yeah but it's about celebrating the little moments we weren't there celebrating that your book was out we were there celebrating the fact that you'd signed a book deal and that's important and recognizing these little moments and these wins in whatever form they take I think is just so important. And then publication day comes and what happens on publication day? Well, first of all, it's the, it was the coldest day of the year and our boiler breaks. 
<laughs> and we've got a... It's like three degrees in yeah. the house. And I had to take our eldest to school and it was like minus seven outside. We've got an eight-month-old baby who was dressed up like... Like Michelin Like man. the Michelin she, man. She couldn't move. She was so angry with me because I'd put her in so many layers she couldn't even crawl. And so... Actually, that day, you know, I didn't really even think about the book in the morning. Well, we gave you a card and a little prezzy. But it was not the focus by any stretch. The dawn of this big day we'd been waiting for for ages arrived and actually everything was just a bit of a disaster. (laughs) It wasn't really a disaster. It was just, it just was what it was. And actually we got it fixed pretty promptly, thank goodness. Yeah, but it wasn't the idea that you build up in your mind. Of course not, no. Real life is always there. It is always there. And we chase and we relish these future highs but resist i would say and resent the so-called lows when it's all just an inevitable part of as you've already said the richness of life Mm. and then that afternoon i went and i did a a vodcast with men's health and i remember being asked it's publication day you know how do you feel and i said well it is just a day like any other Mm. And then you and I have actually been a bit under the weather as well since then, both on antibiotics. And <laughs> But that's the point, isn't it? You build this thing up and the lasting joy and fulfilment is not there. And yeah. so this conditioning of you keep striving, then you'll eventually arrive and you'll make it and you'll feel fulfilled. But the point is, we never actually arrive. Absolutely. And I'll tell you what comes to mind. Do you remember we were watching... So as a family, we watch Strictly Mm -hmm. when it's on. It's a bit of a thing. Our eldest loves it. And that episode with Annabelle Croft when... So her husband died last year and she did that moving montage with Johannes and she said she used to go for a walk with her husband in Richmond Park and he got diagnosed with whatever he got diagnosed with in February and had died within a matter of months. And I remember her saying... They were always looking to the future. All their conversations were about planning, what we're going to do next, about the future, she said, didn't she? And Mm. I think at the expense of embracing the beauty of the moment that they were in there and then. Yeah, to a large degree, absolutely, yeah. She had a message, didn't she, to everybody who was watching. She said something like, cherish this moment now. It's all we have. It's all that exists. Um, Makes me think of that podcast we listened to with my favourite Michael Singer. And he was saying, if you ask a bird what time it is, the bird would say it's now. There's just no concept of it not being now. (laughs) All there is is now. Yeah. In experience, all there is is now. One of my favourite videos take refuge in the now when we're worried it tends to be about something that's either happened or going to happen in the future if you come back to this moment now it's invariably not full of suffering Mm -hmm. but we're not conditioned that way i remember an alan watts video talking about this state of continually never arriving you know, we go to primary school and then it's junior school and the arriving's coming soon because we then we're going to senior school and then we've got the exams and you're going to arrive soon, you get the exams and then into the big wide world of work. The arriving, it's coming soon, but you've got to wait because you need to get promotion and you just climb the ladder. And the point is you never arrive. We sold a big lie, aren't we? Yeah. And actually he gives this lovely metaphor. Is this a metaphor, an analogy? Anyway, I'll tell you what it is and you can tell me. Dancing. If you go for a dance, you're not dancing to arrive at some point on the dance floor. You dance to enjoy the dance. Yeah, exactly. Firstly, I think this is an analogy. (laughs) And secondly, it's like me playing the piano. I'm not playing the piano to get to the end of the piece and finish. You're playing it because of what happens when you are in the moment. It's all about the music and how it unfolds. Yeah. You're enjoying it just for its own sake, basically. Yeah. I think the problem with this sort of success evangelism is that it makes us permanently fixated at some point in the future, waiting for, as I write in my book, waiting for circumstances to line up in just such a way that then we'll be okay and happy and fulfilled and all those kind of things. You know, even if these circumstances do line up, they never stay that way for long. No, everything's always changing. Always. The only constant is change. Wisdom. (laughs) Obviously, a certain amount of striving is inevitable, but I think we do need to sort of explore that it's not the be-all and end-all. And in this first episode, we're talking about doing does not end in being. Chapter five in the book. What does doing does not end in being mean then? What do you mean by that? 
I would argue that what we really want is to feel content. What we tend to think is that by doing, i.e. by achieving, by winning in the case of sport, if I win this or achieve this or get a certain status, then I will be what I want to be. I fulfilled whole enough basically so that's what i mean does that make sense yes that makes sense so in the book i give various examples of people who really illustrate that it doesn't work in this way you know there are so many people who have set the loftiest goals and reached them and have not felt fulfilled and had the lasting contentment that they expected to so it says the day after the rugby world cup had ended so i was in australia in 2003 that's obviously when england won the rugby world cup and i remember those four weeks or five weeks were this super exciting time because it was building to this crescendo to this moment could england finally win something of note and then obviously england did it i left a sweary message on my parents answer (laughs) phone but i vividly remember the next morning being sat in a room with this utter feeling of emptiness. Mm. There's nothing to look forward to. I remember Sydney felt barren, it felt empty. I felt really down. I could picture that exact moment. And it was interesting speaking to people who were part of the England rugby team in 2003, Johnny Wilkinson most prominently, who felt exactly the same. Now, I think Johnny's a really interesting one to look at. When he was a kid, he set two goals to be the best player in the world and to win the Rugby World Cup. And he achieved both by the age of 24. Yeah, that's tough, though, isn't it? (laughs) I mean, that's... that's Imagine being done by 24. Yes, Isn't that also just a shorter, sharper version of what we all want? If you could write down exactly what you want and then get it, the idea being, God, imagine how I'll feel if I got that. Mm. Well, he did that at a really young age, which is kind of how we all live our lives, but perhaps not in such a quick version. And then he said, the day after winning the Rugby World Cup, he said, I've never felt as low, never felt as empty. And he wasn't alone in that. I remember speaking to Lewis Moody. He said, like, briefly, you have this sense of elation. And then it's like, now what? And Dave Allred, who was Johnny Wilkinson's mentor, I remember him saying 45 minutes after the final whistle had gone, I was walking around Sydney as low as low could be. They're a good example, I think, of this that just shows that we've got it out of kilter. Caitlyn Jenner's another one. I love your Caitlyn Jenner story. (laughs) Well, you were fundamental in making that happen. Why don't you share the story of how this came about? Well, we were chatting on the couch, weren't we, about future guests. And at this point, Caitlyn was huge, such a big deal. And I was like, look, if you want to talk to a sports person with a lot to say, like a very interesting backstory, I don't think you're going to get anyone better than Caitlyn Jenner. And you were like, I'll never get Caitlyn. And I was like, you will. Let's get her. And two weeks later, you're on a plane (laughs) out to L.A. Yeah, I didn't expect it to come off, but I fired off the email and I think I got an email back that same day Mm. and then got the BBC involved. The crank started turning and like you say, I remember being on a flight to LA and it was all very surreal. Getting an Uber up to her house, pulled up to these mad gates with loads of video cameras on them. I remember the house wasn't actually that big it was all on one floor but the thing about it was it was like on this cliff top and it was the view was unbelievable over the sea i went in eventually met caitlin (laughs) (laughs) you tell the story about what she said because she came out didn't she in her in her negligee not negligee no not not negligee in her dressing gown yeah she was wearing a white dressing gown facing away from me and i'd been chatting to her team and then sort of turned around looked me up and down and said so what are we wearing no, she no 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 no. She came out in her dressing gown. Yeah. Not dressed yet, wondering yeah. what do I wear for <laughs> such it, an occasion. Yeah, yeah. we're doing <laughs> filming. She, yeah. yeah. And she looks at you and she says, um, "Oh, what should I wear?" Hmm. Casual. <laughs> <laughs> After taking a look at your yeah. outfit. Yeah, because I was in jeans and. You looked smart though. For me. You were, what, yeah, you. Were. I mean, I wasn't in a suit. <laughs> no, no. Maybe she was expecting you to rock up in a suit. Yeah. Hmm, Dis- casual. <laughs> disappeared into her bedroom did you not like that (laughs) then we came out and we filmed 
it was such a good interview. I feel like she did really open up to you. I really liked her. Like we yeah. got we got on really well. Yeah. It was a good laugh. Clearly a vulnerable, sensitive soul. I would say. Mm. So Caitlyn Jenner, brilliant example. Because I hadn't really, I'd been aware to some degree of the backstory, but not as much so as when I really did the research. And there's this really interesting documentary on YouTube. What's it called? Um, Something for gold? 10 for gold, that's it. 10 for gold. And it follows Caitlyn Jenner when she was Bruce Jenner leading up to the 1976 Olympics when Bruce Jenner won gold in the decathlon. Broke the world record. Archetypal, all-American, muscular, good-looking, charismatic. Had this huge... Profile. Profile for a period afterwards. And then when that started to wane, this is what Caitlin said to me, the training was running away from a lot of the issues that I had. And she trained, hadn't she, four years solidly, every day, six hours a day, no time off, with the very singular goal, I will win gold at the Montreal Olympics. And with that in mind, she was able to sacrifice everything else in her life and just really go for it. And she did it. Uh-huh got the gold and she later said a lot of what was driving me a lot of the training was running away from the issues I had yeah obviously people focus on gender dysphoria but actually speaking to her dyslexia was the big thing initially when she was at school so she was just like I'm dumb felt that everyone else judged her in that way well it wasn't understood like it is yeah now. so it wasn't understood like it is now no. absolutely and so when the athlete discovered athletic ability in a running race around the school, that's when all of a sudden she was like, I've got something that I can peg my worth on, essentially, mm. is what it is, and go to the nth degree, right? Really strive to get to the very top. And I remember Caitlin telling me that she recognized this trait of having a sense of unworthiness, not being enough, not being good enough, perhaps a sense of shame childhood difficulty in a lot of mega successful people ceos olympic gold medal winners like caitlin etc and that it's a common phenomenon and actually there's a lot of research around that and the thing i think's worth noting is that we still look at these people with a sense of oh those are the type of people we should aspire to be like even though there's this sense of dysfunction perhaps that's driving the drive to mega success in the first place. Yeah, but I think also this idea of success is something we need to talk about because not everybody wants an Olympic gold medal, but of course society says that is that's success right there. Being a CEO of a company, having millions of pounds in the bank, this is what we've trained our society to think of as success. Mm. But I think we've got it all wrong. It's not... Like for me, success would be the family life, being with my daughters, not mm. spending all my time at work, the quality of your relationships, you know, how close are you with the people that really matter to you? How much time do you have for those people? How content are you within yourself? Mm. You know, how happy are you to be alone? Lots of people aren't to me. I love being by myself. That's like a, that's a very successful <laughs> day. That's a successful day if I've spent some time by myself. But just this idea of success, like who defined it? Who was it that told us that success is working towards something that mm. you should be attaining? It's just not true. Yeah. You mentioned relationships. So you're incredibly close with your brother and sister i'm close with my sister too but you're very very close to your yeah, brother and sister best yeah they're your best friends yeah. as well whereas and i remember being at my annual birthday get together and i've got my friends who are like 30 year old friends and to me that's successful friends who you've had for 30 years not a bunch of 30 years <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> or the fact that you know our daughter will come home from school and she will tell us if something's upset her mm, she won't yeah. hide it that's very different to how i was when i was little we have a very open relationship with her she she can come and tell us anything I'd mm. like to think and I hope that continues obviously yeah. she's only eight at the moment but that's a big success for me absolutely a couple of people have said something along these lines if you think of your funeral it might sound a bit morbid but if you go to a funeral no one is talking about they've won this they earned this they drove this <laughs> their house has this square meters it's like what were they like Sir John Kerwin who's in chapter one Lovely guy, World Cup winner, had a severe mental health episode 
during his career, a big depressive episode, he came out with a lovely line that his dad had said to him, it's how many bastards want to carry you out when you die? (laughs) How many people want to carry you out? It's your being. It's how you are, not what you do or have that is fundamentally the important thing. Mm. Goldie Sayers asked me this, it's like, how do you define success? And I actually think it can come down to kindness, empathy, and as you said, that sense of I'm okay. Mm. So in, in this chapter, speaking to Katie Warriner, the sports psych, and she'd been on a podcast, Better Than Yesterday, I think it was called, and the guy at the end said, what does that mean to you? And she questioned it. She said, why do I have to be better than yesterday? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why do you? And she had a two-year-old toddler at the time, and we've got an eight-month-old baby now. Mm-hmm. And this idea that she's not enough as she is now... It's just absurd, isn't it? The idea that she has to achieve something for Mm. us to think she's amazing. Or to think that she's okay enough. It's absurd. It's absurd. This is the key recognition. We all have that okayness, that wholeness, that enoughness that we come into the world with, but then we lose sight of that and it gets overlaid, understandably, because we like approval, we like other people to clap and say, well done, yes, you're doing well at this and not that. And so we then, our value is not intrinsic anymore, it's what do other people think of us? When the ego develops and the comparisons develop and the I need to achieve X to be okay storyline starts forming, we lose sight of that okayness that is there in the first place. Yeah, we paper over it layer and layer and layer and layer until we've actually completely forgotten about it altogether. Look what's happened with you, with your big quest to fix yourself, in inverted commas. Mm. You didn't need fixing. (laughs) It's the conclusion you've come to after how many years? Okay, to give that a bit... (laughs) To give that a bit of context, I think my interest in well-being, mental health, inner fulfilment is driven by the suffering that I experienced and feeling that I was not enough as I am, feeling insecure and a sense of shame and that suffering sending me off on a quest to fix myself. It was like that and it's led me on a, in a path that I would never have anticipated and we'll come to that in a later episode, a bit more detail. But fundamentally it was coming back to this recognition that we are okay as we are now. It's a switching round, I think, of recognising that instead of setting out to try and achieve X so that then we're going to be okay or circumstances align in life so that we're okay, so that we're enough. We recognise that just like when we first came into the world, we're intrinsically enough and we get back in touch with that. And then if we're really fortunate, it's about expressing that perhaps in what we do. And that might come in the form of trying to be an elite sports person and reach the very top or a business person or whatever it may be. Or it might be in our relationships. It might be being a parent. It might be being a friend. There's virtually infinite ways of expressing it. It might just be being a a kind and personable person with everyone you meet. Little mini interactions in the day. There are so many ways that this can manifest as opposed to this very narrow band of success that's what it's all about it's like no you're okay now and now go and express it in what you do rather than seeking to find that okayness by achievement status accumulation etc but what do you think about setting goals because i i like setting goals do you remember that month when i did i ran a hundred a hundred thousand miles no (laughs) (laughs) that really would have been something to write home about no that month when I ran 100k. Yeah. Now, not a runner. I've never uh-huh. been a runner until lockdown. Well, In fact, no. Well, no. When I was like young, one by the end? No, I remember when I was younger coming home from school and telling mum that I'd been picked for the 80 metre shuttle in sports day and she renamed it the 80 metre shuffle because I was in it and <laughs> like, I was not known for my sporting prowess. And then who knew in lockdown took up running and absolutely loved it, was really good at it. I wish I'd known when I was much younger, I could have been doing this for decades. And anyway, so set myself the target one month, I was going to run 100K. So from someone who'd never even run 1K, this was Mm. like a big deal. Mm. And I remember... I got so much satisfaction from it and the process thereof actually more so than achieving the goal at the end. Mm. But I remember setting off for my last run, I think it was like the 31st of October and 
it was pouring down with rain. I had to do a 10K. And I remember you and our daughter sort of cheering me on as I left. And the whole way around, I felt completely elated. Like, I cannot believe I set this goal that felt so unrealistic. And I've, I've done it while I'm in the process of doing it. And I came home and I felt so proud of myself and that was a small goal it had nothing to do with anything Mm. it wasn't financial it wasn't for anyone's benefit it literally was just a little can I do this yeah yeah and it was great you've done it again we set up or rather you set up the YouTube channel your YouTube channel yeah oh yeah so we set that up set that up just when the baby was born and I was like right when you're on maternity leave when I was on maternity I always like so just for context your capacity for work is remarkable I'm just going to flatter you a little bit watching you work during Covid because obviously it went from being five days in the office to both working at home you are incredible at what you do I would say the most capable (laughs) I'm not just saying this genuinely I mean this the most capable woman I've ever seen in a working environment. Like, I'm not exaggerating at all when I say that. And then so to have our daughter, second daughter, and be on maternity leave, hands full, and then decide to set up a YouTube channel. Anyway, you can tell the rest of the story, but I just wanted to add that context because it is remarkable. But And goals were a key part of it. Yeah, well, it was driving me mad because we've been saying for ages you need a YouTube channel, you need a YouTube channel, and nothing was happening. And, you know, you're obviously... You know, you've got your hands full with various other bits of work that you do. So I was like, I'm, ju- I'm just going to do it. And I didn't have any clue about YouTube or video editing or thumbnail creating or anything like that. I taught myself all of it and set the goal, the lofty goal, I thought, to get a thousand subscribers. Because I was like, this, this is the holy grail of YouTube. You get a yeah. thousand subscribers, you can monetize the channel. This is what we're working towards. Yeah. So and I'm what does it normally take? How long does that normally take? 15 months or something like that. Yeah. And we did it in what? Five months of me sat in my dressing gown, <laughs> <laughs> feeding the baby, teaching myself all these things. But, you know, that yeah, that was a goal that I set mm. and achieved. And now I think today we're going to hit 2,000 subscribers. And then obviously we'll be on to 3,000, 5,000, 10,000, God willing. I think that these sorts of goals are important to have because if we don't have any goals, yes, we all have that intrinsic value, but we can't just all bumble around being like, oh, I'm really worthwhile, so I don't need to do anything. No, I agree. that's, that's, That's a misleading way of looking at things, I think. I think that's fair enough. I suppose the important thing actually is to be like, okay, if the YouTube channel gets stuck and never achieves a 1,000 followers, to then not be like oh my God, I'm a failure, this is a disaster, Mm. I'm not worth anything. No, it's knowing that it's not actually hinged on, it's it's not a reflection on you as a person. Well, I think that's exactly the key point. Goals, of course, are really useful, like setting up a business. You want to achieve this by month three, by month six, by month 12. But it's when you attach your self-worth to that goal or expect that goal to make you feel okay and have a lasting sense of of okayness. Mm. So many people, particularly in sport, I've spoken to loads. Like I remember swimmers who were like, my worth is dependent on the time that I swam. Mm. I think Rory McIlroy said, my worth could feel like dependent on the score that I shot in a round. So that's when it becomes problematic. And then a sideline of that is... I remember talking about it in the book, Goals Gone... What's it? Oh, Goals Gone Wild. Oh, I love the name of that study, Goals Gone Wild. Goals Gone Wild. <laughs> and it says if too much emphasis is put on goals, then it can lead to things like unethical behaviour. Like you see that in sport. The amount of doping, the amount of doping that I would suggest goes even unnoticed, it's a big business. And so, okay, you're striving for a goal, let's say a medal or whatever it may be, but you're cheating to get there because the goal is of supreme importance, so the means justify the end. Yeah, but on some level you'd always know you cheated. Of course. That wouldn't be worth anything to you, Of course it wouldn't, of course it wouldn't, but this is what happens. I would agree, goals, important, really useful, certainly provide momentum, something to aim for, but if we're attaching our worth to the outcome, then we're in trouble. Yeah, that's the danger zone. Okay, should we try and summarise a little bit? Okay. For me, 
it's being aware of this cultural narrative, this success evangelism that is you need more, have more, do more to be enough and the I'll, I'll be happy when X phenomenon. Just recognising that and seeing that that is an illusion. It doesn't actually work. And then getting in touch with the fact that actually, you know, you're okay now and you can feel okay now even in the chaos of life because life is chaotic. It's pretty chaotic for us <laughs> right now. Chaotic. But actually you can come back to the fact that in this very moment with you and I sat here now, we're okay. We're fine. We don't need more to be okay. Yes, we need to pay the bills and... Make sure the kids are fed. But we're okay. So it's getting in touch with that okayness now. And I think we could dig more into that in future. But seeing through this illusion is really important. Yeah. I think you've summarised that brilliantly. Do you? It's almost like you're a professional. <laughs> In the second half of this episode, we'll be hearing from Johnny Wilkinson, Caitlin Jenner and others whose stories illustrate exactly the kind of thing we've just been talking about. So hang about for that and I'll be back in just a jiffy. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This second part is a series of clips from interviews I've recorded that illustrate exactly what we discussed in part one. My guests are in order. Johnny Wilkinson, one of Britain's fastest ever swimmers, Siobhan Marie O'Connor, Caitlin Jenner, and the top psychologist, Katie Warriner, who's worked with numerous elite athletes and high performers, including Marcus Rashford. Just from a sort of society perspective, you're in a way a little bit promised this idea that at the end of this suffering will come the joy, you know, whether it's the next car, whether it's the, mm -hmm. the job, whether it's the family, whether it's the um, retirement. I think it's quite interesting now because hmm. life's added or the mind's added another one now which stops you ever facing this because it says, well, after I'm gone, my legacy will make me happy. You're kind of like, oh, now I'm, now I'm screwed. I'm never going never gonna to face this in my lifetime. But the, um, the, the, the idea that all this doing will end in being um, mm. is something that's, I think, embedded a little bit in, in society over here. The idea that becoming someone will reveal all your potential. Mm -hmm. you know, what I acquire in my life is going to give me potential. Um, almost like there is actual potential in, in a World Cup that you lift, you know, that it has this almost source of <laughs> energy that when you lift yeah. it, you get yeah. embedded with this joy I mean, it's like he-man's sword yeah it is yeah and it yeah. and it doesn't it doesn't it didn't work that way for me and i was so pleased to have gotten to that stage early enough to realize that geez you know if, if it's not there then surely maybe my potential is actually in me yeah. and i should look that way and it's kind of like the obvious thing of you know what you're looking for is where you're looking from kind of idea that you sort of end up going yeah well, i've got to start maybe understand that I started off this life as a young kid who just wanted to know all I could be and I've become a guy that just wants to have everything. Have the reputation, have the status, have the 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 cup, have the the life and the whatever. And when I had it all I was like, oh geez, I I've stopped being all I can trying to be all I can be and I've started trying to control the world to have this amazing thing and, and it was, you know the next morning it kicked in. You you wake up and yeah, you, know, you sort of. It's not. Yeah, you know, we're waiting for that big change. You're waiting for, yeah, you know, the, yeah, yeah, whatever it is to euphoria. Yeah, yeah and it, it 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 just wasn't there. But dangerous is that habit is is that you know suddenly I started thinking. Well, I tell you why it's not there. It's because we haven't won two in a row. Yeah, yeah. So we need yeah. to get we need to get busy on 2007. And sure enough, we almost got there. Yeah, absolutely. Still, it's but even so, yeah, like I said, that drive is amazing. The drive is and the single focus focus is so powerful. But the energy behind it, when you're, you know, when you're doing it out of passion and excitement between the two whistles, 
it's beautiful when you're doing it out of stress and need and yeah. it has to be you know or or else what if i let some it it it, it can be the most uh, debilitating and destructive thing you know i've definitely been guilty of just seeing myself as i see myself as the time i swim so you know if i'm off my best time at a competition i completely basically base my whole being on that time which is ridiculous you know like when I was in Rio and I swam at 206 I felt invincible but when I've been to competitions and I've swam 219 I feel like you know absolutely distraught and like obviously I'm distraught at the performance but it completely changes how I feel about myself you know I feel like I'm based on that time I'm based on a number I'm really interested in that illusion around mixing up who we are with what we do. And it's really, really heightened in sport, but it's uh, almost a universal phenomenon. It, it seems like everyone does it to some degree, but in sport, clearly massively heightened. Yeah, it is definitely. I think, you know, as a sports person, your sport and success is your identity. I think and you're right, it's heightened in sport, but it's the same for, like, I guess, anyone in what they do, like, they feel like, like that's their sole identity in a way. And sort of sometimes without it, you feel lost. And but I used to just kind of associate it with, like, people liked me more. And, and so then, therefore, it just became my whole identity. And, you know, I was very worried about how I would feel, like, when it stopped, like, when I wasn't a swimmer anymore. Um, you know, I was like, people even like me the same. The bigger problem was not being dyslexic and, you know, kind of struggling with reading and not be a good fluid reader in school, which is really important for a lot yeah, of people. Yeah, yeah. My biggest fear was to go to school because I was afraid the teacher was going to make me read in front of the class. And I was petrified of that. I didn't want anybody to know I had the problem. But the bigger problem is self-confidence. Um, you think you're not smart. Uh, that simple process is not working like it does with everybody else. Uh, you lose interest in school. Uh, you kind of, you know, go hide. Hmm. And that was more me. I, I didn't want anybody to know I had the problem. Hmm. You know? So did they label you then as someone who was not academic? And oh, then did you internalize that? Uh, yes. Um, and it wasn't until really junior high school. Uh, I can remember somebody, uh, you know, some psychologist giving it a, Word being you're dyslexic. My first impression is, oh my God, am I going to die? You know, I didn't know. It sounds so terrible. So that really hit your self-esteem then, the, the, the dyslexia? Oh, that's big time. Really? Yes. And that's why in fifth grade, uh, we had a running race in uh, gym class out in the parking lot. We had to run around all these chairs and they timed every kid in school. And I wound up having the fastest time in the whole school. And everybody's coming up and saying, you know, oh, I didn't know you were that fast. Everybody's giving me a pat on the back and I beat everybody in school. I wasn't getting that in the classroom. So and you had a status all of a sudden. And so all of a sudden I kind of go, what's this thing called sports? And uh, that's where kind of it all started. And just for fifth grade, so how, what, how old is that? Because we don't, in the UK. 10. So 10. 11. Right. Yeah, somewhere in there. And this is around the same time that you're drawn to your mother's closet as well. Um, I, people suffering from gender dysphoria, um, they basically, you're born that way, just like you're right-handed or you're left-handed, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's kind of just who you are. Sure. Okay. I mean, there's all these great explanations of this and stuff. It's just who you are. Okay. Uh, and fortunately, which is great, there's diversity in the world. I think it's great. All, all humans aren't the same, you know? And that's good. And so, uh, yeah, it's something I didn't understand, especially, you know, growing up in the 50s and the 60s, you don't understand those tendencies. You don't understand why. Um, and, uh, but yeah, I used to sneak in there and try stuff on and do this and that go out. Sometimes we live in an apartment complex, go out and sneak out and get around. Um, and then I, I, I just felt comfortable doing it. Mm. Uh, I was just afraid I was going to get caught. That's all, you know. Did you have a sense of shame around that as well at that uh, time? I did. Shame because obviously I didn't tell anybody. Sure. But back then nobody knew anything about it and I didn't know anything about it. And 
You know, when you look back on your life and you kind of try to figure all these things out, um, you know, being dyslexic, gender dysphoric, you know, these types of things going on in my life, kind of struggling in school a little bit. Because for me, when I got into sports, uh, it became uh, more important for me personally to succeed at sports and to work hard at sports uh, because of all these issues. I think back on my life and I think, what if I would have been average? What if I would have been an okay reader? Okay, no gender dysphoria, happy and all that kind of stuff. Sports come along, I wouldn't have needed it. Mm. It wouldn't have been that important to me because everything's kind of just struggling along. And I look at a lot of people who are successful. Yeah. And then you look back on their lives, oh my God, you know, you had, this is what you were struggling with when you were younger. It's actually only really in becoming a mum when I look at Isla and it's like, I have sat with so many business leaders, coaches, athletes over the years who are asking themselves, am I good enough? And I've never really, I've never really seen it so clearly as when I look at Isla and I think it's just not even a question. Like there is just love. And now what do you want to go and do with your life? Whereas so many of the high performers that I've worked with who, you know, on the surface have achieved amazing things and, you know, on social media will will tell a certain story about their achievements. But underneath it is that sense of, am I good enough? I'm trying to be good enough. And then, and then when you get into those sort of like curious questions, like, okay, so um, it's a silly example, but there's a, there's a boat, there's only two people can you rescue. One's a normal human being and the other's an Olympic medalist. Are you going to save the Olympic medalist? Because they have, I mean, that's just ridiculous. And when you go to make friends with people, you think, I'm going to call my friend up now. You look through your phone book and think, oh, no, he finished fourth. No, I don't want to talk to him. Oh, yeah, that was like, it's just not how we live our life. And yet so many people are so gripped by that sense. And I've, I've experienced it as well. And it's, yeah, I think the more we can talk about this, then the more we normalize it and find a different way of, of connecting. You were talking about your daughter, Isla, lovely name, by the way. And um, yeah, mm -hmm. so, the, so the theme of our conversation, as we discussed before, is this idea of are you coming from a place of mm. love? Or are you coming from a place of fear? Mm -hmm. So in a sporting sense, it could be are you trying or any success um, pursuing pursuits, right? Um, are you trying to, yeah. to win something to prove something? All right. I, I, when I win this, then I will be okay as a, as a person. Right. And you talk about mm. Isla. She, it's just so mm. obvious that she doesn't need to do anything to have, to be totally yeah. lovable and to, like there's nothing she could do to uh, to make herself more lovable or aggrandize herself or anything like that and and as as a child of that yeah. age it's so plain and obvious and actually and then as we get older you know we start to think okay well there's something wrong with me and i'm not i'm you know i'm too tall i'm too i'm not clever enough i'm you know my nose is a bit nose is a bit wonky or whatever it may be you know like the list is is <laughs> endless and we start buying mm. into that narrative and then it's like okay no now i have to prove myself mm. but underneath it all the whole time as i've realized it is that the two-year-old part of us that has been fine all along it was yeah. always fine and it's about about recognizing that innate well-being that's already there you've got nothing to prove i don't you know does that does that resonate with you yeah totally and i I've, I've sat with athletes and and asked them questions like if they're experiencing real anxiety before a major event um or they're they're really hand they're struggling with mistakes for example in game because it, it's all just so anxiety provoking and when you bottle it down to or whittle it down to you know, do the people that matter to you, will they love you more or less if you win this game? And they start smiling. There's this, this like smiling of like, yeah, no. And some people will say, yeah, they might be happier. It's like, yeah, they'll be happier because they think it really matters to you. But now list me three things in life that you care about that are important to you and notice how they won't be affected by the result of this game, this tournament, this whatever it might be. And um, so then you come from a point of view of sort of, love of exploration so I'm enough as I am and I want to go and see what's possible with this team in this tournament and I want to try and inspire people so you're coming from a point of abundance and and yeah of, of unconditional value and my experiences in sport that is really rare 
but it is achievable. So through sport, actually, you can heal some of those wounds that people have picked up through their early years in life. And um, sport becomes a vehicle for that healing, which wasn't what I learned about when I went to uni, let's just say. (laughs) We've spoken about how the self-improvement journey ultimately is a recognition that we were fine all along. (laughs) That's the irony, right? That's really so, you know, what do you make then of, of the, having this understanding on the one hand that you're fine now versus mm. this pervasive idea that, you know, I've got to be a bit better than yesterday. I've always got to be striving. You know, how yeah. do you marry those two things? Yeah, I got asked to go on a podcast of someone that seemed like a really cool guy. And so I agreed to do it. And it's called Always Better Than Yesterday. And at the end of the podcast, he asked me, you know, what does this mean to you? And I, I just found myself being really honest, like, I actually really don't like it. <laughs> Sorry, I know, it's, I know it's the title of your podcast, but I don't know why you have to always be better than yesterday. Why don't we just be here now? And, you know, like I'm, I'm a little bit of a hippie. I've got a little candle by my side here. Um, and I'm really enjoying the flickering of the light of the flame as we're talking. And just I don't need to see it flicker better tomorrow. I just <laughs> I just enjoy it as it is. And the same for us, too. So I think it, it's I guess then when I unraveled it, it came back to, again, the why that why do you want to be better than yesterday? If it's because you're having fun exploring that crack on, if it's because you feel like you're not enough as you are, let's talk about that because you will never get to that point of peace and contentment. You will do something great and feel nothing but relief. And frankly, that's not, that's not okay. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Life Lessons podcast, exploring success evangelism and a new way of being. I'll be delighted to hear your thoughts. Get in touch at simonmundy.com or via social media. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.